0: Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, February 12th, the day after Super Bowl. So, did your team win? I was rooting for the Chiefs. They did win. But, man, got to love the effort that 49ers put out. What a great game. Over time, couldn't ask for anything better. And except for those 49er fans, the outcome didn't go quite your way. I'm thinking of a number of people out there that was texting me. And I was texting them the 40 minor 49er fans. But anyway, this podcast is created to talk about mortgage banking, not football. Got a lot of exciting things to talk about today. It's being created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals and we're grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our Commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Got so much to talk about today. I'm muffing up our bed general opening. Uh, Joining me is our co host, Mark Helm. Thanks, Mark, for joining in. Good to have you here, friend.
2: Glad to be here, sir.
0: And you're sitting over there in uh, Hamilton, Alabama, working on an assignment that's pretty big, major. The lessons we can learn from this one, Mark, are gonna be great podcast material down the road. Can't talk about it now, but it's gonna be great material for down the road. Also joining me on the podcast today, we got Alice Alvey, who is always here with so much wonderful insights. We have David Kittle here. always love Kittle's feedback and input when we're talking about the aspects of the markets and specific questions I have for David. Then of course we have Alan Pollock, who is here with the tech update. And joining us on a regular basis will be Bill Corbett. He's one of the consultants that we have in our group. And he has some of the best insights into commentary about what's going on. I'll share more about that as we get Bill in here, but anyway, so good to have you all here with us. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Special thank you to our sponsors, Byte Software. Again, it's designed to be both powerful and flexible, low cost, yet a fully robust tool that can be used. By the smallest on up to the largest institutions. What a great system! They love you. They don't try to lock you in. If it works for you, great. Stay with them. If it doesn't work, you can go away. They don't lock you into long-term contracts like the other big LOS out there in the market. So check out Byte Software. Also Finaster. It's a seamless platform because of the entire platform is housed in the cloud. They are one of the top leading partners with Microsoft and some of the things that they're doing as a result of that ai and some of the tools that they're bringing in to their product is just game changing you need to check out all that finaster is doing we're working with one of their top ai people to get them on the podcast again largest fintech company in the world a lot to learn from them and we're grateful to have them as a sponsor also total expert love what joe wellu and the toll team is doing they're a total expert they just stay consistently focused on what they're doing. One of the things I'm talking about lately with them, they have a recruiting model. They have the normal CRM, all the stuff that supports the origination process. One of the things I like about them right now that I'm focusing on is the MSR retention, the mortgage servicing rights, retaining those, they have a campaigns that'll help you do that trigger leads really good stuff at total expert. Check them out. Also lender homepage, an all-in-one AI platform that provides seamless front-end solutions to your mortgage business and mortgage businesses of all size. They help you better connect with borrowers can convert more traffic into leads and uh, loans faster. Also then true an income and employment verification, an alternative to the market leader out there. And they support 90% of the workforce and they give you the information at an 80% cost savings over the big competitor that's out there also angel ai congratulations on their super bowl ad we're going to be talking about super bowl ads a little bit later on but some which one we like which ones we didn't like also the mortgage bankers association lenders one and the mortgage collaborative these two co-ops do an outstanding job of bringing people close together we've got david kittle on here i'm sure we're we'll here about the upcoming conference coming up that they're having in louisville and uh, lenders one is going to be in la also knowledge Coop, a great learning management platform also, iEmergent, Mobility, MMI, Modex. These are three business intelligent tools. Folks, you've got to look at business intelligent tools. How are you running your business? Are you doing by the seat of your pants? Or are you doing them by legitimate business intelligence? Check out all of our sponsors on our website. So good to have you all here. Last Wednesday, we released the podcast with Alec Hansen. Got a lot of listens and comments on it. And the topic is, what does it take to succeed in 2024? (coughs) Excuse me, Alec did a great job of providing some great content. That is what we had going on. Again, thank you to all the regulars that are here with us. Let's get started with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute and the report from Adam DeSanctis.
3: Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen appeared before the House Financial Services and Senate Banking Committees to discuss the Financial Stability Oversight Council's annual report to Congress. NBA President and CEO Bob Brooksman issued a press statement following remarks Secretary Yellen made about being concerned about non-bank mortgage lending, saying, quote-unquote, If regulators are concerned about the market share and stability of IMBs, they ought to go back to the drawing board on the Basel III endgame proposal, which would drive banks even further out of the mortgage business and make it more difficult for them to serve consumers directly and provide the vital financing that sustains IMBs. As you know, MBA does not believe IMBs, individually or as a sector, pose systemic risk to the entire U.S. financial system and have highlighted these concerns many times, including last summer in a comment letter and we will continue to communicate this to lawmakers and regulators. And finally, join MBA in the Cherry Blossom's in D.C. next month for our National Advocacy Conference. You'll meet with key policymakers, network with colleagues across the industry, and hear from policy experts on the top-line issues impacting the industry. Register today at mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you, Adam DeSantis. Good report. Love what the MBA does for us and in our industry. While you're at the website, be sure to go to MBA website. Be sure to download on your smartphone, the Mortgage Action Alliance app, also known as MA. And we love this app because you get to have your voice heard on the Hill. We can support MBA's legislative efforts with this very important app. And it's so easy to use. So get it, download it, and Have your voice heard. You do not have to be a member of the NBA to use that app, but you should be. Anyway, good job. TM Spotlight, this week's macro view of the markets with Les Parker. Ah, This is a good one. You're going to enjoy this one. TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy.
2: I don't mind correcting you, waiting all the time. Bonds are waiting for the Fed to see inflation crashing down. Massive U.S. debt supports global bank reserves but weakens long term economic health. Additionally, the decline in the Fed's reverse repo balances puts liquidity levels at risk. So, before the Fed eases rates, it will reduce its selling of Treasury securities, fueling a sharp decline in long term rates. The bear correction prepares the bull market to run. The drop was just what bonds needed. They needed some time to breathe. These views are mine.
0: It's just what you need at tmspotlight.com. All right, go sign up for Les Parker's newsletter to TM Spotlight. You get the paid version for free when you put in the word power or power seller in the sign up area. It's a good newsletter, man. It has got packed with so much information. And as Alice has pointed out many times on this podcast, Alice has been amazingly accurate on where he said interest rates are going and the ranges we'd be operating in. We're seeing that again. We're going to get some comment on that. Bill Corbett's going to make some comments on that. But I want to save those comments and all of our discussion about the markets until after we listen to Matt Graham. And we're going to listen to him next. Matt Graham, founder and CEO of MBS Live, is here with his market update. Matt, what do you have for us today?
4: This is Matt Graham with the MBS Live Market Update. Last week started out rough for the bond market with ISM non-manufacturing coming in higher than expected, not just at the headline level, but perhaps more importantly at the employment and price level. Markets were already trading into weaker territory, but that kicked the selling into higher gear and took 10-year yields up near their recent ceiling of 4.19%. The rest of the week was really fairly sideways, despite a slew of Fed speakers saying the same old stuff. If we had to bullet point their various comments, pretty much every Fed speaker has said some version of the following. First, inflation has been coming down nicely, but we'd like to see it come down a bit more. In outright terms, year over year, it's still too high. Second, the strong Economy and strong labor market give us room and time to wait to cut rates. Bullet point number three, we do see ourselves probably cutting rates this year if the economy and prices evolve as expected. But bullet point four, we're not as we're not in as much of a hurry as the market thought we were when it comes to making those cuts. And in any event, bullet point five, we remain highly data dependent. Uh, At least one Fed speaker said something that was slightly different than the others, but not something I think the others would disagree with. Basically saying that the challenge with inflation right now is that its decline has not been broad-based. In other words, goods deflation is offsetting services inflation that remains too high. If we were just looking at services, we would be quite a ways away from rate-cut conversations, And it's only because of goods deflation that we're even having the conversation. Um, So what sectors are the Fed most focused on? Probably that would be core services, something they continue to mention, as well as shelter, which is a key driver of the core services component. Apart from Fed speakers and the ISM data, there really wasn't much else going on last week. We did have treasury auctions. They were fairly uneventful, In fact, one could say relatively strong, but that strength came courtesy of the weakness earlier in the week and late last week. In other words, the higher treasury yields go, the easier it is for the market to facilitate a strong auction process. No other significant economic data. Jobless claims were close to forecast on Thursday. And then a little bit of confusion for some on Friday morning because there were headlines surrounding CPI, the Consumer Price Index. But these had to do with the annual revisions to the CPI seasonal adjustment factors. And uh, those resulted in an unchanged month-over-month core reading for the last report in December a slightly higher headline reading, but not one that resulted in significant market movement. Bonds ended the week having attacked or bounced off that 4.19 ceiling a few times. Not all the way up at 4.19, but close enough to say that yields are pushing up against 2024 ceiling, and it seems inevitable that we will have a showdown with that ceiling tomorrow morning after the actual CPI data comes out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Yet again, the market is expecting the core month-over-month number at 0.3%. It has been 0.3 several times recently, and that seems to be a level that has been hard to break. This goes all the way back to November. We have been under that level at least once in October, but in general, 0.3 has been the number to beat. It goes without saying that if we were to see 0.2 or lower, it should bode well for rates. At the very least, it should help rates move down from that 4.19 ceiling, and if we were to see a reading of 0.4 or higher, it almost certainly implies a break above the 4.19 ceiling. Of course, there are other market movers to consider, but not many that are more important than CPI or the big jobs report. Uh, Really, other than CPI, it's the jobs report and the Fed, and we're waiting about a month until we get the next jobs report and almost a month and a half until the next Fed announcement. That's going to do it for this week. Back to you.
0: Thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. Good report. I want to talk about several aspects about that. Mr. Kittle, I'm to start off with you on this because last week you asked a very important question. I thought it was a very boring question about the jobs number, and it was having to do with how much of the job growth were government jobs. Matt says not significant. Then later that day texted me a image of a Fox news report. You're sitting and watching it and you said there, I thought so. I thought so as you were saying, I knew it, I knew it. 40% of the job growth was in government jobs. I would like to get your perspective on it. And then we were talking about that just before the show. Corbett says, I can't find some of that data in there. So let's start with you, David. Did Fox, do you remember if they mentioned the source of how they came up with the 40%? Is that a narrative? They didn't say there, but it just was stated factually, if I recall correctly, correct?
5: Yeah, it was stated factually is all it was. But let's discount it. Let's just say they're off 50%. So that just means that 20% of the jobs were government jobs, which is still significant. I I just shot you what I was watching on there. Government jobs are overhead. Government jobs produce nothing for the economy by and large. So when they come out with these, and it is true, I think I also made the comment last week that the last three or four job reports, whatever, all after they come out, two or three weeks, get revised down.
0: Downwards, yeah.
5: Every month. So they're not Uh, as high as they are. And there's a high percentage of the government jobs that are there or the jobs report are government jobs. I'll never forget.
0: I remember one time, David, I was on Fox and Fox business and, and I go, they cook these numbers and man, did I get a visceral response from the host David Asman at the time? He goes, how can you prove that Dave, you made a very strong statement that the government is cooking these numbers and go, do you believe these numbers? I go, I know, especially when they're revising them down. I think you make a really good point. I didn't step in that one because I realized how unpopular that comment was on there, but boy, did I get a lot of posts afterwards. Way to go. Finally said something. Someone stood up to the things that we've been thinking all along. And I think when you're willing to stand up and be a contrarian to the noise we're hearing out there, these kind of reports that come out of there, I think that's bold. And I'm glad you asked the question last week. And I think we should all be asking that question The most important point you're making, and then we'll get over to you, Bill, is none of the government jobs can contribute to GDP at all. There is no economic growth as a result of a single job. It's a suck on our economy, if anything. So,
5: Yeah, we're all borrowing money to pay everything. And more of our borrowed money is going to employ people. It's the private sector that drives this economy. And the government's way out of line. So I'd be interested to see what Bill has to say. My last comment is, you know, 30 days ago, looking at a chart, under Biden, under this president, which is going to be one of the big three things we talk about in the election, that inflation is up 17% over his presidency. That's a lot. Inflation, again, is not coming down. The growth of inflation is coming down. Inflation is still high. Nothing has changed in pricing. Food, energy still up. Gas does fluctuate. I'll give whoever wants to argue at that. But overall, It's gone up, it's stayed up, and it's not coming down at this point. And that is hurting our business
0: significantly. Yeah, to say you don't want to get involved in politics, anyone who says that, we have got to get involved. I am more involved this year than I ever have been because of what's going on. And I think that's universal. More and more people are doing so. Mr. Corbett, one of the reasons, everybody, I want to get built in on this is that we have our consultants. We all of our consultants get together there. Affiliated with uh, Transformational Mortgage Solutions, my consulting firm, and we sit around and talk about issues. And I wish I could put that podcast on there, but Bill's anecdotal commentary is so good. I've invited him to join us as one of the regulars. Let's get your thoughts on that. You were saying, we just before we went live, that you can't see that that's more than twenty well, percent.
6: So first, there are two things. One is one of the words that needs to be retired from the conversations is disinflation. I can't think of a more deceptive word that's being used out there. To Mr. Kittle's point, they're using that to describe that the rate of inflation is slowing. People hear that and they perceive that inflation has come down. So that's number one. Number two, just while we've been chatting, there's a little bit of number massaging that legitimately can go on. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports talk about a category of government employees, but then there's a larger category, which is private education and health services. And I think that's when you lump those two together, then the numbers that Dave Kittle was talking about start to come into play. And within that combination of those groups hit the criteria again, he was talking about, which is those are not, workers that are adding value and productivity to the economy. So I think it's a combination of those two categories is where those numbers come from. Where, where, Fox, and, and got, where is, Fox got their report is, on the 40%. is very meaningful. And yeah. those are the categories where we're spending the money that we don't have.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it, we have to be so cognizant of when you're doing anything with your job and your life, And you're going, hey, I'm spending more time golfing, playing more sports, or I'm volunteering. Notable, wonderful thing. That category you just talked about, Bill, was the health and the services that go into that. It's like you're donating time. You're doing something that we're taking care of people. That's notable, but does it add anything to GDP? And I think we have to be so cognizant of what is actually causing for economic growth. Mark, we'll have you weigh on to this. I can't wait to get to Mr. Kittle and see if you finish that. But Mark, weigh in on play.
2: I got two comments about it. It seems like we're dealing with fair-weathered friends here in this inflation deal. First of all, when it starts serving the purpose of politicians, when inflation gets high, things happen, and people argue about it and whatnot. But I think the most interesting thing is what we talked about, the government employment sector. The government employment sector has had a lot of hirings because they've been hurt for a long time. They don't have enough people to process tax returns. They don't have enough people to uh, staff VA hospitals. It, the federal government has a problem across the board finding people that are willing to work for them these days. So it doesn't surprise me they finally get around the hind, but it's contributing to the inflation thing because prices are going up for everything. And I, I went shopping here recently, and has anybody on the phone bought or on the podcast bought a loaf of bread or a a dozen eggs recently and you—if you, if you can't think we're in high inflation rates, you're not only blind and deaf, but you're stupid because it's gone (laughs) dramatically higher. And David's laughing on that. But so that balance we've always tried to maintain in our country between inflation and government spending and all is all out of whack right now. And it's not going to get changed without some great deal of attention paid to it and interest paid to it and doing the right things. And I just don't think we have that happening right now.
0: It isn't. Mr. Kittle, I want to get you over to you, Alice, in just a minute, and then Alan, let you finish up some commentary on this. As you hear this discussion, David, thoughts, especially what Bill was reflecting to?
5: I just think they're spot on. It follows along the theme. There needs to be, certainly everybody knows where I stand politically, but there does need to be a, a change in overall policy. We have, I can't give you the acronym for it, but we have the natural gas, the most clean natural gas in the world. And we were just getting ready to send a bunch of it to Europe. And the administration blocked it and stopped it. Now, that hurts our economy. And one of their staples is climate change and clean air. And so we were sending the cleanest form of that energy to Europe, and they stopped it. At every turn, we're killing our economy. So we need a change in policy, and we need it soon.
0: Yeah, don't get me close to the Nord Stream blowing that up and who was behind that, but that gets into ecological disaster. One of the biggest ever. Alice Alby, good to have you here always. Thoughts on any of this you want to contribute?
7: I think you all raised some really great points in general for all our listeners, and that just is that as all these data points come out, they get revisions. I was looking to see if there's a full chart that can show us those changes in the inflation rate, and I think when we get Matt on the line, or maybe Dave and Mark and Bill, you guys have comments on, CPI, does that fall in the same bucket? So if we look at some of the biggest measurements that we watch in order to try and anticipate what the Fed might do, CPI is in there as well. Should we just expect that all these numbers, they get reported, and we need to just wait the next 90 days to find out if it's going to get adjusted every single time?
0: That's a rhetorical question as far as I'm concerned. Yes, it's rhetorical, which, yes. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question because it does seem to get revised. But there's reasonable reason for that, Bill. And if you'd explain on that, it's not necessarily something nefarious. It's There's logic reason, logic behind it.
6: So there's lots of reasons, there's of logic, but there's also lots of holes in the data, the way they gather it, the way they analyze it. And to me, a lot of times I don't look at the numbers, I try and look at what's going on in the real world. And I have an example of a woman that I work with who does grocery shopping for her elderly parents, has done that for three years, buys the same thing, Every week, same grocery store, and that grocery bill has doubled over the last 18 months. Wow. So, And then you immediately go back to a report CPI, excluding food and energy. I'm sorry. Food's pretty important. So then you step back and go. It is a big alignment of everyone's personal. um, So here is, admittedly, it's one person, one location, but it's pretty reasonable. And food inflation is up a hundred percent you just can't ignore that and i think that's what you hear a lot of the pundits are why is confidence so low when the data is in their mind not that bad well because the data doesn't line up with the real world and what's going
0: on yep good point alan any comments you have for us on this discussion otherwise we get over to alice anything
1: yeah i just wish that The world we live in today wasn't driven by money and policy, and and that people knew the real answer, and that our government was truly talking to us about what people are really feeling. (laughs) To see our president yesterday, and I'm not getting political, but to see our president yesterday talk about how the cans of pop soda and drink are getting smaller. It's still 12 ounces, right? The can itself could be getting smaller. And you're getting less food in your bag of popcorn and ice cream is more expensive. That's not what people are thinking, right? They're thinking about health insurance. They're thinking about the things that truly affect their living. Yes, groceries and yes, soda pop and chips are matter, but that's not the necessities. I just think there's a huge disconnect and no one believes the numbers anymore. Even if you don't understand what they mean, no one believes them. No one believes what they're told. So we need to figure out how to fix that. I don't think we can anytime soon. But I'm not surprised to learn that the percentage of government jobs contribute nothing to GDP. I already knew it, but to hear it again, not surprised.
0: Yeah, we could go on and on about this discussion. The most important part is rates. Pay attention to Les Parker's comment. Of course, Matt Graham, mbslive.net, he reports the actual numbers. Parker's really looking at the forward thinking about this we all know, we trust him. He's been so accurate in so many aspects of it. So sign up for that newsletter again. Alice, let's get over to you with the update on legislative. what's going on. Alice Alvey, Vice President of Partner Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. Good to have you here, Alice, as always.
7: Thank you, everyone. Great discussion. So I think I've just got a quick update on the trigger lead bill. You may have seen this in yes. NBA Newslink. But this was a good this was really good news. I know uh, Mark Jones and the MBA have been working very hard on this. So we do have that H.R. 7297, the Homebuyer Privacy Protection Act of 2024 is the title. <clears throat> Excuse me. This has been revamped. So it matches with the senate version that's already out there which is senate bill 3502 we reported on this in the past that there was a slight difference in there and we're really excited to see that the house now is going to align with the senate version which means that there's the carve out for trigger leads that are part of a third party like i must if i'm a third party and i have that the consumer has said yes it's okay to pull my credit then i have a right to go and send that customer an inquiry but that or it is my customer in servicing if they've received if we if i get a hit that my customer has pull the credit report, I can receive those trigger leads and I can go ahead and solicit my customer. It has the carve-outs that are needed for us to operate with our own portfolios as lenders and still be able to save the customer from the other 65 phone calls they may get for companies who are just simply working off of the trigger lead. Now, don't miss the fact of what this will have as an impact to the credit bureaus. This is a big money maker for them. And yeah. so some of you may have already seen prices, price quotes going up for the cost of a regular credit report because the credit bureaus, the big three, see the writing on the wall that if this does get legs and is able to move in this election year, then they will be out a significant revenue source here. Yeah, really so that's my update for today, Dave. It's not signed into law yet, so don't get nope. overly excited. But we do have two companion bills working their way through.
0: Yeah. Mark Jones is a good friend and someone who really is one of the leaders on our industry. And I applaud Mark for the job he's done. Thank you so much, Alice. Thanks for the report. Appreciate it very much. Alan Pollack is here, chief operating officer, consultant, top tech. I'm going to say more than anything else. You are a tech guru, dude. You stay on top (laughs) of things. You've been in some of the most significant initiatives when it comes to technology. And most importantly, I love how you are looking up and down the landscape of what's coming. So you and I yeah, thank have you. talked so much about this, but you're a real thought leader and so glad that you're part of our podcast. What do you have for a report on the tech update?
1: Thank you, David. Just on that topic for a quick second. You know what I found myself doing recently on some consulting projects? I found myself actually, I've got one board advisory position and another one that I'm negotiating. I find myself really, and you do this because you do executive coaching, really, really enjoying and excelling at helping others. Whether it's just seeing things from another angle or leveraging the mistakes I've made in the past, it's really an interesting position to be in. And you get to just hear what other people are thinking and what they're doing, and sometimes you learn something well, all the time, actually. But, anyways, it's your career makes so many turns and changes, and it's just interesting each time you have a second to look back to see what you're doing, where you came from, where you're going, etc. So. With that being said, let's talk about all the folks that make commercials for the Super Bowl and if they're happy with what they're doing. So before the podcast today, I asked some of my fellow cohorts here what they liked. And Mark Helm actually asked me if you could rate the Super Bowl commercials on a scale of zero to 10, zero being the worst. I went Barstool Sports, The Rules, One Bite, pizza style. And I went, I think it was like a 4.3 or something I suggested. I went with the decimal because that's what Barstool does. But look, I know, David, I didn't see the Angel AI. You mentioned that they had that one this year, so I'm going to have yeah, to go the, Google yeah. or YouTube that one. But ultimately, what's really interesting, if I had to say, hey, what were the ones that were okay? And even the people around me and even the internet are saying we're decent, I'll tell you, this one was pretty funny. This was State Farm, and it was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. And yeah, Arnold so Schwarzenegger comes in and he goes, he goes, <laughs> It's so funny. He goes, looks like look like a good neighbor from State Farm, just written on the PayPal State Farm. (laughs) This woman is in labor, and they tried (laughs) to get him to use the Arnold Schwarzenegger slang, and it came out so funny. So, anyways, that I thought that was a funny one. Also, you know, State Farm at the Kansas City Chiefs are all over their commercials. I didn't see any KC state farm commercial so that was interesting they obviously put a new one out there this david i thought really probably should rank the number one commercial it was a google pixel camera commercial and it showed a gentleman with a visual impairment and as he used the phone it was extremely blurry and he held it up and said one person or one one human face in in focus and it would say ocean and one human face in focus it was suggestive as to the person taking the picture that it's good to click snap I thought that was really cool. It just shows that people are thinking about how technology can help the human race besides yeah. just suck the energy out of our brains. So that was really interesting. Reese's candy. I thought that was pretty cool. That interesting way to say that they have a new one. And they said, we only have a few and it has a little caramel on top and the people are screaming, the families, like, yeah. And then at the end, they said, wait, are you still selling the original ones? And then the Reese's goes, yes. And the people start screaming again. That was an easy way. And then the only other commercial, honestly, that I felt that had any merit was Neil Diamond and Volkswagen. Just yeah, that was
0: good. Yeah. Her, was Herbie good. the Love
1: Bug came out. I grew up watching Herbie in, in those movies. And Neil Diamond, our generation, I hope other generations still love Neil Diamond, but his music's great. Anyways, yeah. what was really bad, David? Holmes.com was dumb. TurboTax was dumb. Was, E-Trade yeah. and Pickleball was dumb. The J-Lo and Tom Brady, the Matt Damon, man, I didn't like it. I thought it was stupid. So that one. And the other one that should have been, it was a commercial. I can't rate it. I I myself have been to Lahaina, Hawaii for the last 20 years, almost every other year. And I have a lot of memories there. And the fires there were just absolutely devastating. And there was a commercial for Lahaina, and and they're going to rebuild. And it was about their football team and how they're finding pride and everything in that. And I thought that was just a great story. And that should have played – probably 20 times in place of half the commercials that we saw. Bass Pro Shops was bad. Judge Judy and Suits. So the the TV show on Netflix that came and it ended and then it came back and now they're going into another season because Netflix has just increased the popularity. Uh, Elf, the makeup company, or ELF, I'm not big into makeup, so I don't know. Judge Judy and Suits was in it. It, They tried to make it cute. It was just eh. And then there was an AI commercial for Copilot, which I don't know. It was all right. Honestly, my, besides the game, I thought Post Malone did an amazing job in America, the beautiful. Yeah, he just, he wowed everybody. So the Super Bowl, in, in terms of commercials, there weren't really any mortgage ones. Rocket Mortgage, we all knew ahead of time, wasn't going to be in the Super Bowl. Yep. So let's leave it at that. This yeah, but, week, David, yes. go ahead. Yeah, sorry.
0: I was going to say, but Pavan was there with his Angel AI. And right? uh, again, one of our sponsors, one of our clients that I work with. And I got to tell you, it was really cleverly well done. Very clearly a mortgage ad going consumer direct, direct to the realtor, direct to the consumer. And it was really effective, I thought. But anyway, you continue on.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So I did want to chat about AI for a second. And throughout the week, I take screenshots if I see interesting things online or I will make notes. And there was one thing, let's see if I can find it really quick while we're here. It had to do with the new Apple Vision Pro. And I think it was Rocket Mortgage. And they now have uh, the Vision Pro at Rocket app. So check that out. I thought that was really interesting. So I had somebody ask me to help them with AI, David. And they said, you seem to use it a lot. You're really good at it. And they said, like, when I try it, I use the prompts. It doesn't come out right. So if you're using AI and you're not getting what you want, you, you have to have kind of two mindsets. The first mindset is you have to tell it exactly what you want. And you have to know that what you're going to receive is going to it's enough to get started. You need to finish the work. Right. But ultimately, this one person, I I watched them enter in a prompt. I I watched them go through it and they were being nice. So let's just call him GPT, It GPT. Right. It's pronouns are it. Oh, this wasn't that great. Can you please revise it? And they kept getting back something different. And then when they got the third response, the initial request was completely lost and GPT went off out of bounds. And so I said, you you have to tell GPT, why did you just forget the rules? Now, please redo that. If you're nice to GPT, like you want to be nice and empathetic to a person, you're speaking to a computer. You're speaking to a robot. You can offend them. You can tell them, you did not give me what I asked for. Can you please revise that? And please don't forget what I told you four paragraphs ago. And after I put a little bit of personality into their conversations with GPT, they started receiving what they were hoping. Now, again, they still, it it was enough for them to finish the work they needed to do. It's never going to replace what you're trying to do. But so my message to everyone today on, on how to use GPT And if you're using prompts, it's really just a couple of really quick things. And and this isn't a list anywhere online. This is my personal experience of how I've been successful and and how I've interacted with other people. One is don't be afraid to spend an extra minute to tell GPT who they are. Meaning, when you get in there, say, listen, you are David Licken. You are a podcaster. You've been in the industry for 40 years. You've worked with so many people. You continue to learn every day. You're the Tony Robbins of Tony Robbins. You're David Licken. You need to tell me what I need to know. And don't be afraid to use too many words. Don't be afraid to make misspellings. Don't be afraid to have redundant sentences. None of that matters. Just get it out of your head. Tell GPT who you want it to be. Now that we have Mr. David Licken as our GPT, now you can legitimately go in there and say, David, I've overpaid you. I've underpaid you. You give me more advice than I ask for. You've been amazing to everybody I know. I need you to pretend like your life is on the line and I need you to tell me what you would say to get out of prison, right? You need to let GPT know the situation, what is the challenge and what do you expect to be the result? Yeah, you, and you, then you say, yeah. oh yeah. And then you say, these are the rules. I want no more than three sentences. I want to make sure you mention the word pancake. In the three sentences, you tell it what you need it to do, and you will find that you will get better results. And don't be afraid to be mean to GPT; it's okay. Nobody's going to be upset.
0: So good—that's really good advice. I think we all need to learn uh, to how to use this tool and these kind of tools. AI more and more because it's a part of our lives, and who is going to accelerate is the one that learns how to use it the most. Mark, you become a bit of an expert in this on AI, and I—I I just. I tell you, it is so important. We understand this and folks I'm telling everybody, all our readers, my clients, I'm requiring this required reading is the coming wave. It is the coming wave. It is unbelievably interesting. It's a little challenging to read. I'll be honest with you because it can be scary when you realize the rate at which this is changing biomechanics or the whole biological the whole, I'm not saying that world, the biomedical world that is changing that one and AI. And I'm not saying the first one, right, whatever it is, but it is fascinating how rapidly our world is going to be changing and it will be. It's got to get on, get involved. Alan, good report. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Mark Helm, anything, any final words you have for us as we wrap this up?
2: Yeah, I'd make a comment about what you said about AI. I just got my one big caution for people and utilizing or thinking about utilizing AI, understand what you're using it for, understand how to use it, and don't depend a hundred percent on it without testing out whether it works for your application and what you're doing. Because I think that uh, AI is still a growing technology, and too many people are banking on it 100%. When it's built for your industry, that's one thing, but it was general AI out there. It it could be problematic if you trust it. And, and ChatGPT is unanswerable. An they tell you all over the place there that we're not sure we can guarantee all our resources are right. That supply information it to. So just be that, be real careful with it. I'm a real big believer, and I'm going to endorse it and use it everywhere I can. But at the same time, I approach it all with caution and make sure I'm an expert on what I'm trying to use it for before I use it.
0: Good word. Good word. Good stuff. Alan, thank you for a good report. Always looking for the latest the Super Bowl ads where it's always fun to talk about those. Alice probably has the right approach to it. I'll watch a summary of the ads. I'll watch the ads and the review app. What did you say you're doing? And then you're going to watch the highlights. He said, I will save myself a couple hours because I got all the information I need. Alice, that was a great approach. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, that does it for this week. Look forward to having you back here next week. Share this podcast with others. I want to say thank you to our regulars, Adam, Les, Matt, David, Alice, Alan, Mark, and now Bill Corbett added to the list. So grateful. Also grateful for our sponsors, Byte, Finaster, Total Expert, Lender Homepage, Truve, Angel AI, MBA. Lenders One, Mortgage Collaborative Knowledge Coop, iEmergent, Mobility MMI, and Modix. Good list of uh, sponsors. We appreciate you and have a great week. See you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.